Hey, you're listening to the Time and Talks podcast. I'm your host, Dejal V. Patel, and this is the place where we have refreshingly real talks about the biggest problems moms face in motherhood and life and the spiritual solutions to solve them. If you're ready to reset your mindset with some major truth bombs, well then, let's dive in. Namaste, Mads and Mamas. Thank you so much for being here for a really, truly important conversation that I know that is going to be uncomfortable. We are pressing the reset button on raising racist kids. As I speak right now, we're in the midst of the Amplify Melanated Voices movement and awakening, and it's certainly stirred up some uncomfortability within me. Areas where I've subscribed to racism in my life, areas where I've also subscribed to the idea of white supremacy ideology And it's been hard for me to find my voice that I don't know what to say that's right and what's wrong. Um, Is it going to offend people of color? And I feel like this podcast is very much going to help me find some more healing and comfortability as far as what is my role in being a proactive activist in this movement. And I'll be very honest, I've been stuck in my own little bubble of safety and complacency. And of course, I've had my own racist moments. I remember living on the streets of Philly and then seeing a black man walking towards me and immediately my heart dropping and trying to cut across to the other side of the street. And here's the thing, like that was a 50-50 chance that something could have happened to me. And it wasn't related to the person's skin. It could have been a white man or an Indian man. And it's that same level of safety issues. But there is something that's rooted within us, even in being Indian. There's that whole white supremacy ideology that's prevalent, that people of fairer skin are viewed as more beautiful, more wealthier, more attractive and respectful than someone who's darker skin. You're looked at as a less than. And I, this time, I know that I'm sorry is just not suffice. And it, the healing goes much, much deeper. It's this ripping and stripping of this way that we've been conditioned to see life and view others and this separation and this division. And how do we connect back to our unified humanity? And so this is the time to listen and to learn and stand as allies with our black community. But how do we truly do that? How do we educate and empower our children and recognize how they can be an ally? I think the biggest injustice would be if this movement of uproar only becomes this IG trend, while us newly woke people cannot make up for generations of servitude, discrimination, and racism, we have so much catching up to do, whether it's signing petitions or protesting and writing emails and supporting black businesses, which is just a tiny start. So I'll be very honest when I say that as many times I don't know the right things to say, I don't quite know what the right things to do is or where to begin. And I just want to humbly just share that because it's been a journey for me to find the patience that I need to be gentle with myself, to recognize that this has to be a deep-rooted passion 
and it requires my attention and persistence just like anything else in my life that the pain and the grief of a black woman of seeing and the fear of their child being killed violently at the acts of racism or police brutality I needed to embody that and feel that and though it might not be exactly the same there's a rage within me now I feel angry I feel heartbroken and this pain is just compounded by the great fact that this is not new so when we see these protests happening in the light of just COVID, right? We had one crisis of COVID and we were dealing with that anxiety. And now we are shifting into this new crisis, this new breakdown that we need addressing. It reminds me of this quote that I want to share. I think it's a perfect place to start with our perspective shift in this. And it's from Leslie Dwight. And she says, what if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't canceled but rather the most important year of them all. From this point forward, there is no position of neutrality when it comes to racism, police brutality against black people, and all racially motivated violence in this country. It's either this place now where we either truly fight for change or you're a part of the problem, even if that means it's inaction. So first and foremost, I really believe that change happens in the home if we want to heal we have to address the areas where we have subscribed to these thoughts we have to start talking about these uncomfortable things with our children for a while i was questioning should i even bring up what's happening to ayan he's five years old shouldn't he just live in his little bubble of just you know bliss and kumbaya and then i read something on instagram of a mother telling her five-year-old that no black child has the right to live in ignorance. They are taught that there will be someone in your life who may hate you because of the color of your skin. They don't have the choice to not learn or talk about racism. It has been enrooted in their DNA, in their lifestyle, in their upbringing. And so I think just even as an action point, whether we're not going out to protest or we're not, you know, if you're not signing petitions or you're not doing these other overt things, I think at the very, very, very least, we need to start having these honest conversations in our home, what racism is, what's happening in the world. We can't just think that, oh, you know, I don't see people as black people and white people and Indian people and brown skin people. That's not true. Then we're not truly seeing who an individual is. So whether it comes to donating to organizations like Color of Change or elevating Black-owned businesses, sharing resources to learn more about educating ourselves and really leaving the education, learning from these Black activists and educators who've been working so hard from this and for us to just be open, to listen, to really share and Let's keep this movement going beyond this one week. This needs to be a lifelong change. And I truly believe that change begins when we start 
educating ourselves, but also talking to our children about racism, white privilege, and a meaningful allyship at different ages. It would be negligent not to talk about these things. Today, I invited a really important and special guest to help us understand how we can start having these conversations with our kids. And when anxiety comes up, whether it was COVID-related or as this uproar continues to show up, how do we help our children cope with the anxiety that they're most commonly going to face as these changes start to evolve and continue to grow? So today I have parenting expert, psychologist, author, and board-certified behavioral analyst, Rena B. Patel, on giving us tips on how to start talking about racism and how to help our children cope with stress and anxiety during this pandemic and during these times of violent protests and racism. So for more than 20 years, Rena has had the privilege of working with families and children, supporting them in all aspects of education and positive well-being. Rena has worked extensively with children, supporting their academic, behavioral, and social development. Rena is the author of two children's books, My Friend Max, a story about a friend with autism, and Winnie and Her Worries, which offers an anxiety relief toolbox for kids and caretakers in an easy-to-understand story format. I am so beyond thrilled to have Rena here to help us and support us in this really difficult conversation and time of how to connect with our children regarding racism and anxiety. Hi, Rena. I am so, so happy that you're joining us for this Time and Talks episode to talk about something that's very confusing and often scary to talk about race and racism. So I'm so excited to hear your viewpoints and your wisdom on this. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I always start the podcast with um, something lighthearted. And so many of you guys may not know that I actually know Rena from you know how I say like my pre hot mess express days before I was mindful and living a holistic lifestyle. So Rena is actually an older sister of my best friend from law school. So Rena has known me when I was like that total hot mess <laughs> express. And it's been so amazing because I've seen Rena's journey and growth of how she's become this incredible expert. And uh, it's been so great because you know me from before, but you also know me now. Yeah. It's it's fun. I love watching. I love seeing your journey. And it it is true because I have known you pre all of this. And I do have to say, uh, you talk a lot about um, your feeling of um, anxiety and uneasiness and some of the pressure you felt. And I never, I never really sensed too, too much of that besides that you, both you and my sister were in law school and the typical thing. So I love how honest you are, Tejal, with your, just your experiences and what led you to who you are now. And I think that's so important. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you so much, Frina. That means a lot coming from you because you truly are someone that is a mentor and someone I value and respect. I'm just really humbled and thankful for for you saying that. Today, we're really de- diving deep in raising kids who are not racist. And this is a very heavy topic. And it's something that I will be honest that I've struggled with as we're taping this right now. There is this wide uproar. We went from one crisis of the pandemic, which rocked every child's world, to now this new circumstance where it almost feels uncomfortable and 
scary to now have these new dynamics and conversations uh, about the deaths of Black individuals and the unrest that we're seeing with the violent protests. And so I really wanted to, to come on to share your expertise and wisdom on not only just talking about what's happening right now, but the importance in the long run, especially for us non-Black parents, of how to keep this conversation about race and racism going, even when we're not in a moment of national outrage. So I wanted you to start very simply at the beginning, as far as what is the right age to start having conversations about race with children? I mean, that's an excellent question. And it's interesting because... When you realistically think about it, society, educators, we talk about school system, it's not really parents who start to have the dialogue. And it's not till children really are in middle school or high school till they start to dive deep into history. Yes, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day or we celebrate certain some holidays, uh, but they really we're not diving deep into uh, understanding racism. And children are aware that we are different, but they aren't born identifying people particularly by race. It's until children begin to notice racial differences between the ages of three and five. Um, and in that, what that is, is it's an innocent curiosity that really isn't linked to any positive or negative qualities about different groups. It's more of an awareness. So, what happens is it's us as a society, it's us as parents, it's the media, it's the fact that we don't have a diversity of books or toys placed in front of them that they have no cons, it's, it, they have no understanding. And then when we have our conversations amongst our spouses, our partners, our community, even the friends we bring into our house, that slowly starts to shape their thought process. And that's when they start to understand what is more acceptable, what they shouldn't do. And it's a hard example, Tejal, but I I brought it up actually for the first time. And I had this discussion with a a black man, a black friend of mine who um, had made a comment on my social media. And, um, and I had agreed with him. And for the first time, I even stepped outside of my own zone, my own comfort box. And I made a comment and I said, you know, it's like when you're taking your child for a walk. And I remember this growing up in Texas. I definitely remember this. And a parent um, walking with their child and you pass an African-American man or a, a, a black person and your parent slowly like pulls you closer. Yeah. To them. That's that kind of natural instinct, but it's those cues that children are receptive to, and they start to mimic and model those same behaviors. That is so true because there's, it's not just what we say, but it's also what we're modeling. And as you mentioned, that's something that I can certainly very much be honest to that I've lived in this bubble and that same idea of like when I lived in Philly and I saw a black man walking towards me on the street, I could feel my heart racing. I would, you know, cross on the other side of the street. And there was a 50, 50% chance that that so anything would happen, but it's still that innate kind of just like learning. So in your, in your opinion, do you think that when we talk about um, when our child who is like four or five or six mentioning, um, you know, my skin is different, or why does that person have different skin than me? It's more of more out of a curiosity rather than a division or kind of that superiority, like I'm better than or less than. 
Right. It's just a, a child's natural curiosity. And what happens is it then becomes what's called a learned behavior, an ideology that has officially been taught in an indirect way, but it has been taught. And and that's what happens. And children are definitely aware that they're different, uh, but it really is important for us at a young age. We don't need to, we cannot wait till they're older. We cannot wait for the school system. Again, I don't think the curriculum is up to date on the different ways we should be teaching this versus a civil rights movement. I think it needs to be beyond that. And um, And talk about it. Talk about just the basics of what it means to be kind across the board, what it means to be compassionate, catch them showing respect, bring in those dolls, bring in dolls that are diverse. And it doesn't have to be just about race, you know, think about gender, think about ethnicity, culture. If you speak a different language in your house, make sure that you do do that because it's important to celebrate every difference out there, but also to look at these differences and then find the similarities. We're more similar than we think, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we have boys that are like, you have two teenage girls and then you have a son that's six. And when many parents that I know that I've talked to specifically when their children are younger, they're like, you know, let's, they're pure, they're innocent, you know, let's not taint them. But it seems like what I've been reading across the board is staying silent about racism doesn't solve a problem. It's just avoidance of a problem. And so in that respect, I had read something also that children who are black by the age of four, five, or six, they are getting the talk, which is this talk that is passed down from generation to generation about how they handle themselves when they're with white police officers or in the world. Um, so when you when you hear something like that, where children who are black are experiencing the talk, can you talk a little bit more about what that means for them and how that means for our children? That really is an aha moment for many of us, especially uh, one of the biggest conversations I've been having uh, with media lately is what is the talk? And can you believe it? Just as young as three or four, they are having to be given tools in order to survive, survive in their home, like her home city, their hometown. Uh, and there are things that you, we, it's a privilege for us. For example, they're being told the talk that they can't walk with their hands in their pockets. Hmm. They can't um, wear the white tank tops when they're walking around. They have to, when they're in groups with their peers, they have to make sure that on the outside, it really does look like a positive conversation. And these are things that they have to learn at such a young age. I mean, there's so many. They, um, if when they get to the age of when they can drive, if they were to be pulled over, which oftentimes, and we know this through statistics, that they are pulled over um, a lot more prevalent than um, someone who is white. And they have to keep, they cannot reach for anything. And if they were to reach for anything, they have to have that conversation, let the police officer know that that's what they're doing. I mean, these are things that we don't even have to do, um, but they're very much aware uh, of that. And, and on the opposite end, and this is where I think it's very important, is everyone should have a conversation, have this type of talk. I think it's important for families who are of white privilege, which 
all of them are, uh, they should also make some observations. When you enter uh, your local store, where are the hair products? Yeah, you see mm -hmm. hair, but then on the other end, you see a whole small section, probably further away, for ethnic hair. I mean, where where is our system or society um, you know, this framework that um, really needs to shift. And, and so it, it really is in, in our behaviors, but it's not just us as a unit or as an individual. This is something bigger. This is something much more global. When you share about, when you were just sharing about the hair products thing, even for me, if I'm very honest, like I don't necessarily know if I've taken the time to be appreciative or sensitive to that. And so I'm sure that as many parents are listening, they're probably like, there's a education that, was being required of us too at this time as well. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And it's okay. I mean, it's okay to not know the answers. I mean, children are curious. They're curious and we want them to stay curious. I always say, uh, people talk about what motivates you. And I always say, uh, let's reshift that and always ask and maintain what keeps you curious because that is what's going to last forever. These are lifelong lessons, lifelong skills. So stay curious. And, um, and then motivation will always, always be there. So continue to question. And so when parents get questions, or you might not know yourself, um, number one, it's okay. We just, it's okay that we've made mistakes. It's okay that we have potentially made some insensitive comments or maybe done something non-verbally uh, that our children picked up on and maybe model after us. But there is still, there's time to change. You can change those learned behaviors and you can do it together and you can research together and you can learn as a family. And, and like I said, toddlers too, I mean, they can learn. I mean, you just have to make sure things are age appropriate and understandable for them. I agree with that. Anytime I was just telling you, whenever I was been researching articles recently, nine out of 10 times, you have been one of the experts that has been cited, which is so cool because we have you here. But, you know, I was as I was reading these different articles to educate myself, one of the things that I saw, which was really interesting that I think even I felt prey to this is that, you know, you want to teach your children to, you know, be equal and to see everyone as equal. And that doesn't equate to no. teaching your child, I don't see color, which right. I thought was very interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, we have to, first of all, you just can't be silent. So silence speaks volumes. So you can definitely don't be silent. And uh, there's research even that, that suggests by developmental pediatricians and and a lot of other psychologists that children at three months of age can actually discriminate uh, color. Uh, now, obviously, they don't talk, but they're aware. And so just knowing that um, staying silent isn't isn't the answer. And we can we use this term um, colorblind, right? I had I, before we got on, I sent um, Tejal a little hierarchy of the language that we tend to use that is very insensitive. And we can actually, it is important to identify the variations, the diversity, the color out there, and not just, not even use the word, word um, we are the we are the same. And, and you hear that a lot um, uh, right now is um, all lives matter, which is, which is again, something very insensitive. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, one of the other things uh, that we tend to do as parents, and, and I get this from my clients, is how do I teach 
my child to respect others? How do I teach my child to be kind to others? And right away, I tell them there is no others. <laughs> it's, yeah. all us. it's all of us. Uh, but but you have to be careful when you even say things uh, like, oh, we are all of the same race. We're all of this human race. Again, that that is insensitive. And we wouldn't even know that. So you really have to be mindful of the language that you use at home and, and uh and be be aware of um, what the weight that it carries. That's so interesting to me because, like colorblindness, that's what I know. That I definitely thought that's where you go, but I, I that makes a lot of sense of why that can be seen as insensitive. And this is very much like you know, Rena said, it's about being patient and gentle. That this is also a learning process for us. And I know as for me, like someone who teaches meditation to kids, and I preach to parents that be gentle with yourself, because as you as you teach, you learn, it's the same thing, I think, for this as well. It's just, we're opening ourselves, and we're awakening to this. So I think that's really important um, to just start just researching and being more mindful and aware of the language that we use. Now, for many of us, like our young children may not be seeing visually what's happening with the violent protests, or maybe they might hear us, overhear us. But now there are children who are older who may be watching TV or maybe they're living in a city environment where they're actively seeing the protests happen. And so for having children who are also teens, can you share about how to support that age range children as they're navigating this and they're more aware of what's happening? I mean, that's a great question, Tejal. Um, and one thing I have learned over these past few days is, um, surprisingly, there are a lot of young children, the age of your your kiddos and, and like my little guy, who have been exposed. Um, are either seeing it through media, seeing the expressions, the reactions on their parents' faces when they're looking at their phone, hearing it outside their door, hearing the helicopters above. And I do think it's important at even an early age to explain what protesting is because it really is not a negative term. I mean, there are quite a bit, there's so many peaceful protests that are happening. And when children are young, I mean, we all protest when you think about the mere definition of it. Yeah. Um, I like to give, I mean, I give, I mean, we could probably think of so many just off the top of our heads, but imagine telling your child, um, they have to eat uh, their vegetables before they can get their dessert. And your child doesn't eat all their vegetables and then they don't get their dessert. And they immediately maybe shout or stomp their feet and say, oh, this is unfair. This is not right. I, I want my dessert. Or they felt, or even your teen who felt that um, they wanted to go out and hang with some friends, hang out with some friends and and they didn't do this, this, and this, or uh, they maybe did it to, to not your expectation. And again, they might be upset and say, "You're, you know, you're never fair. You never let me do this. This is not right." Well, those are all protests. Um, when you explain protests, I think you need to bring it down to their understanding and their level, and give them specific examples of what's going on with your household. So throwing a tantrum when you feel that um, something is not right or unfair, you typically speak out about it or you show some type of behavior. And that is what's really important um, to explain and then slowly transition into what happens. So for grown-ups, uh, they too are protesting something that they don't see uh, that is un- that that is unfair, and they um, 
And some kids have seen, unfortunately, uh, the image, the video image that um, of George Floyd and what took place. And you have to be very matter of fact. And um, yes, they're cops, uh, but they did make some bad choices. And um, and again, going back to society, there's a group of people, lots of people who feel that this is unfair. There's some injustice taking place and they're speaking up and using their voice to prevent these bad choices from happening in the future. And I, you can make it age appropriate. So you can tell your teens the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And they're on social media. So they're definitely uh, seeing it as well. And they're very much activists. And so they want to do something about it. And uh, so you definitely need to empower them, but in the right way, because they're probably out there picketing and and uh, writing to their congressmen. And I know my daughter every day on, uh, on social media is posting something about, um, you know, in a positive way, but really taking a stand, which I think is a good thing. You know, one of the buzzwords that you said that just came gave me an aha moment, you kept saying uh, fairness. And that every child, right? They they say like, that's unfair. They That's something that I feel like all children can understand. So I love that you gave that language because I think that makes it easier to understand, to be able to explain to your kids. Like, because what, where I was also getting tripped up is like, for example, like Ayan, like he loves police officers. So to, for him to say like, you know, a police officer made a poor choice, like he made a bad choice. He's like, well, I thought police officers were supposed to keep us safe. That's a great way. I didn't think about the fairness aspect of it. And I'll definitely be using that. And I guess this would be more for older children um, than younger children. But we we can't hide behind the fact that, you know, this whole idea of privilege. And, you know, we, many of us, whether, you know, we're in minorities, but we've not faced the system- systematic you know, discrimination as what black individuals have. So there's a level of privilege, whether you're white or maybe you're another minority. And is that a discussion that we have with children? I mean, you know, older children or, and if we do have that, that conversation, how do we explain privilege to them? You know, I, I definitely think you, you should. And it's interesting because, uh, this has always been prevalent, a racism, but even prior, when we think about uh, the incident that happened on Memorial Day, but if we, I was just doing a, a, a podcast and we were talking about just in privilege in general for our teens and the fact that they have cell phones, the fact that they live, have a roof over their head, the fact that they can pretty much eat whatever they want. I mean, those to me are all privileges, right? And I think there's a difference between necessity and privilege. And in general, as a parenting recommendation that I is a life lesson to teach them beyond this is identifying what is a privilege within your family, within your teens, and what is a necessity. Because privileges can be taken away. And it is important to um, to identify that. Now, going back to uh, privileges that teens have, you can use that as a catalyst. I think also what's important is the shows that you watch, the maybe it's media that you're looking at, maybe it's a television show, maybe it's a book that you've read, um, maybe it's a, within your family, you've done a book club. Try to ask them questions. Don't divulge and, and try to jump in and give them all the tools that they need. We want to create problem solvers. We want to continue to create critical thinkers. And uh, what I recommend is asking them, do they identify any stereotypes? Can they see any groups 
uh, segregating. Uh, it could, doesn't have to be by race, but it really gets them thinking, helping them spot things out, spot social injustice, and then ask them questions. What do you think? Do you think that's appropriate? Do you think that's a good idea? Why do you think they're um, separate? What can we do to make it more inclusive? If you get them into that modality, their wheels are turning. They're trying, they're very creative. They're very in tune. They're all global citizens, as I call these, this next Gen X. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> they definitely want to help. And us as humans, we're all altruistic. We have that helping gene. And so, especially now when we feel that we're helpless, it was even with COVID, right? With this huge pandemic going on right now, we want to do something. And the best way to help those feelings of worriedness, anxiety, stress is to do something, take action. And there's research that supports, I, I practice something called positive psychology, and there's research that um, supports that when you do something for someone else in an act of kindness, if you help them, whether it's a sibling, a community organization, you're out there protesting versus something for yourself, that positive emotion, that positive feeling lasts so much longer. And so there's, there's pure empirical studies to support this. And so that's why it's important also for your kids, your teens who are doing a lot. All of us are feeling that heaviness to create something that you can do. And it doesn't mean you need to go out and protest. It just does mean to take a stand, do something, speak out. And there are lots of other ways that you can do it as well. I love that. And it, it kind of makes me, I, when I was reading, there was a point that you made in one of the articles and it re, what you're just sharing right now about taking action and making change really illustrates this point that, and I'm going to quote it directly. Um, you said, you know, talking to your child about the importance of embracing differences and treating others with respect is essential, but it's not enough. And that what you're talking about right now, like using it as a catalyst of action. And like you said, you don't have to be protesting, but it's like getting their wheels and their mind turning. So uh, I love that positive aspect of creating that awareness of, you know, we're not helpless and we're not powerless. And how can we use our voice? And, you know, how can we shift this? So I, I think I heard you saying somewhere like, you know, a lot of the teens who are in high school or in college, they were like the the 9-11 babies. And now they have, you know, now they're experiencing COVID, you know, and then there was this. So it's, it's interesting. I feel like they're going to be such a resilient and open-hearted generation because they've seen and experienced so much at a young age, right? Absolutely. I mean, they're all activists. If you don't know, look at your social media pages right now. A lot is coming from our teens and, and they're the ones actually guiding us. They're the ones having the conversations, letting us know what is, what's right to say, what's not. I mean, they're in the know. So when you have those dinnertime meals and you do ask them questions on what went well, because that's one of the recommendations I always say, talk around what went well today, but talk about uh, what's going on in their mind and let them just speak, validate their frustrations. I can tell you um, the past three days, my oldest who's 16 has been very emotional. Every conversation we've been happening has been about this. And she just is just like the why is there. Uh, it's really hard for them to understand that this is something that's been so systematically mm -hmm driven that it's going to take time. Reform takes time. But this, I do think, Tejal, is a 
a starting point. I mean, don't you feel that something different is happening now than it did with all of these other incidences? I think the quickness of this and uh, just how when you look at the protests, there are just so many people, not just of color, uh, there are white individuals who are out there um, alongside everyone else uh, fighting for equality and justice. Oh, I agree. I think that you know, and you know me, like I, I always believe that there's a reason or like there's a, you know, I don't think there's a coincidence that COVID happened. We were in this, you know, this lockdown and this quarantine period. And then these, these incidences happen that are just creating such a powerful uproar. And I think that 2020 has really become the year where it's been the change, the movement, the things that needed to be addressed are now bubbling to the surface. Not that it's comfortable, but this is the work that I think as society and generation and as humanity that is absolutely necessary. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you in that. Because initially when we were having this conversation, right, we were planning to talk about COVID related, like the anxiety that children were experiencing from that. And I don't want to, I don't want to like brush that aside because I think that's still there. And this is just like compounding it because it's now with this next level, it was that one crisis and now there's this secondary crisis. And so I, I wanted to address because you're an author of two books, but specifically one of your books, Winnie and Our Worries, helps children um, understand and learn coping mechanisms to stress and anxiety, which I think is really important to touch upon because not only is this experiencing probably touching upon and creating stress, but what they experienced just recently with everything with um, being on lockdown and quarantine. So would you mind sharing just a little bit of your advice? and just your wisdom around if your child is experiencing anxiety, um, you know, just some signs of recognition of that. Um, Absolutely. And thank you for bringing uh, this up because uh, I'll tell you a few days ago, and and this is where parents, sometimes we miss uh, those signs. And um, what I'm hearing a lot now are children really young are starting to talk about um, cops and robbers and bad guys. And, um, and imagine it might seem like it's an isolated thing, uh, but it's not. It really is attributed to what's going on right now in society. So look at the, listen to the language that they're using. It's not going to be connected. It may not make sense 100%. But when they start to bring up things that are associated, language that's associated with something that's going on, that's one sign that they're thinking about it and they need answers and they need, uh, support. The other thing is regression in the form, especially what was going on with COVID. I had a lot of parents reaching out who children were having challenges with toilet training. Although they were toilet trained, they weren't eating, they weren't sleeping right. They were having emotional outbursts. And those again are red flags. Uh, then you have what's called somatic symptoms. And Winnie, my, in my book, Winnie Worries, I actually for children have an image there because they don't understand some of these physical symptoms that they have, but you might know and make that connection. So they do get the sweaty palms and, and their head might hurt and um, they're, they get a little shakiness or especially the butterflies or the feeling like they're going to be nauseous. I don't, I mean, tummy hurts. Uh, sometimes you get those um, as they get older. I don't want to go to school. My tummy hurts. And that's just a call, you know, a quick coping mechanism that they use. 
So it is, it is there. Um, I wrote the book because I counsel teenagers. Um, anxiety is a huge client population of mine. Unfortunately, I do think society as a whole, we've attributed to that with the expectations and, and teenagers especially put a lot of pressure on themselves. And so I wanted to write a book uh, that I would focus on kiddos three, about three to 10 years of age, because by the time I got them as teenagers, I, it wasn't, it just takes a lot longer to shift some of that thinking we have they've created. Um, I'm never going to be good enough, or I'm always um, struggling when it comes to taking a test. And will I ever get into college? I mean, those things were so heavy. And I thought, well, goodness, they need coping skills, but I need to get to them a lot earlier. And working with schools, I've worked with schools for over 20 years, and I couldn't find the exact resources, the book, I wanted it to be in a storybook situation so they can relate. So I, um, wrote this book and it has tools at the end as parents, how to handle some of these everyday stressors. And it's all based on my practice and theory of what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. I am a psychologist and um, it is uh, the number one um, uh, therapeutic approach when addressing and helping individuals with anxiety, but I wanted it to be accessible to everyone. So I made it very user-friendly, broke it down. And I always thought, you know, anything that I practice uh, in a client setting, in a clinical setting should be, and we need to be able to give it to everyone because we're all dealing with it, especially during these difficult times. Absolutely. And definitely recommend this book in your child's library because anxiety and stress is just a natural, normal part of the human experience. And you know, I'm totally with you when it comes to educating our children at a young age how to recognize anxiety and those feelings and be able to name them and not be scared of them. And I think it's also important um, because I know that parents usually say like fears and worries and sadnesses are natural and normal emotions. But, you know, in the situations when they're becoming more persistent and extreme forms and where where there needs to be someone like they're speaking to a, to a professional like you or going to the pediatrician, I think when do we educate ourselves more and more about what those signs are? And that's what I love that in your book, you so beautifully portray like in an image for children, like, you know, the different sensations that you can feel in your body that are signals that you're potentially feeling anxious. I think that's such great awareness to teach kids. So um, thank you for writing such a lovely book. And we know that children love learning through stories. That's how their primary way of learning is play and stories. So this is a fantastic way of introducing it. Right. And I made it so that it isn't, it's for any caretaker. And so anyone in the school. I mean, my goal is to have it in every classroom as a, as a discussion. It really needs to be part of a, part of a dialogue and, and definitely available Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Um, and it is important to have a discussion. And that's what I think this whole theme of everything that you and I are talking about, Tejal, is talk, talk to your children, have a discussion. Don't be afraid to have some of those difficult conversations. Um, children are, are, are very ready for it and um, they'll surprise you in a, in, a, in a good way. I love it. Thank you so much, Rena. This has been so informative for me. And I know the mama listeners are going to take away so much about this. And um, I would love for you at this moment to share uh, some of the best places where moms can find you if they want to connect with you. I am 
constantly on a daily basis posting on my social platforms. And so that's probably the quickest way you can reach me at Rena, R-E-E-N-A, B Patel. You can also uh, check out my website. I do a lot of virtual sessions, a lot of virtual services, consults at www.renabpatel.com. And and you'll probably see me out in the media, like you said. So I'm always accessible, always available. Thank you all for listening. And I just wanted to quickly note before we sign off is that um, you had planned um, on June 4th to do this uh panel with these incredible um, parenting experts, which you're postponing. So I would wanted to give you a moment to just share. I know you probably don't have a date, but just let moms know so that when they hear this, that they can keep their eyes and ears out on your social media for it. Yes. Um, we were a, a, several specialists uh, that you all probably know. And if you head over to my Instagram page, you're going to, you're going to know who they are. We were going to do uh, a parenting toolbox webinar for, related to COVID, parenting in the time of COVID. And it was going to actually take place today, this evening. And we really did, it was very heart-wrenching to make a decision, but we knew it was the right thing to do is postpone this. And so a future date hasn't been set, but it just makes sense. So much of what's going on right now uh, and what took place um, Memorial Day and onwards has really been um in the forefront. And we really want to make sure that we take time to acknowledge what really is going on right now, but not to forget that we are still in a pandemic. So if you by all means had signed up for that, just know that we will reach out to you and let you know when the new date is. And if you haven't, go ahead and look for this upcoming free virtual one hour webinar with a great moderator. Um, from um, she's got a great podcast. It's called Atomic Moms. But thanks, Tejal, for bringing this up because it was supposed to be today. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted people to just be aware of it because and keep their eyes open on your Instagram because this is not canceled. It's just postponed, and so I just feel like also it'll probably with the light of everything just happened. It's just going to be even more dynamic, and you'll probably have more resources and tools to be able to give parents and even to navigate this. So I just wanted them to be aware of that as well. Uh, so thank you so much everyone for listening and thank you Rena, from the bottom of my heart this has been so incredible learning from you and um, thank you so so much oh, I love you Tejal I love you too bye everyone bye